you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to today's episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Today, I have the absolute pleasure and joy to be sitting in a room with Peter Baines OAM. I've known Peter Baines for a number of years. I've seen him speak many times and read his books and uh, as an individual that has an incredible background and to be doing what he's doing now it is an inspiration but we'll delve more into that later. To give you a little bit of his background, um, he developed his unique leadership style by leading international identification teams into Indonesia and Thailand following acts of terrorism and the 2004 tsunami. He went on to work in the counter-terrorism area of Interpol, spent time with the UN Office of Drug and Crime, and also worked in Saudi Arabia and Japan after natural disasters hit those countries. But it was his work in Thailand that brought the biggest change. After meeting the children left orphaned by the tsunami, Peter felt compelled to act and founded a phenomenal charity called Hands Across the Water, which has gone on to create opportunities for hundreds of children across Thailand, as well as impacting all those individuals that get involved in the rides and the activity uh, that Peter uh, puts on as part of the Hands Across the Water um, activity. He consults to business um, around corporate social responsibility and presents across the globe to major organizations, corporations, governments, etc. on leadership. The author of two phenomenal books, Hands Across the Water and Doing Good by Doing Good. In January 2014, he was recognized in the Australia Day Honours with the award with the award of the Order of Australian Medal for his international humanitarian work. Uh, To say I am inspired um, is not enough. This man is phenomenal, and so let's get into it. Welcome to today's podcast. (laughs) What does it feel like hearing all that stuff? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. It's it's what is, so... (laughs) It's the journey to here. So tell me, I'm, I'm fascinated, what... What did you want to be when you grew up? You know, it's funny, uh, like a lot of things in my life, it seems to happen by uh, by accident almost. And there was no desire to join the police. It was, uh, I left school uh, and went to uni only because I got the marks and uh, started at uni and very quickly realised uh, I had no uh, desire to be at uni. And uh, I left there and joined the cops and um, and... That wasn't a burning ambition or childhood dream. And uh, so I think uh, I'm still trying to figure out what I'll do when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. So now I guess it's, um, it's very different than when I started. I worked, uh, started working in uniform in the police, then went into the forensic area and studied science at uni, and then went, did uh, my law studies and... Uh, graduated from law at uh, Sydney Uni and thought I'll be a uh, defence barrister and and uh, then um, I guess uh, the turning point was the international crisis work and that led me onto a path where now I get to live this very uh, privileged and blessed life travelling the 
the globe really talking and sharing stories and and then leading a magnificent team at Hands Across the Water, which is the charity you spoke about, and uh, and just work with people who are really invested in bringing about change, either for themselves or for others, and those who are, uh, you know, that where that investment is for others often bring about the change for themselves, mm. and uh, and I do that here, and then I also um, uh, take and lead groups. Uh, uh, offshore on, on multi-day experiences and uh, and it's uh, a whole lot of fun. So you talk about uh, the, the the thing that happened that, that changed in terms of going from uh, uniform uh, to the counter-terrorism work etc etc what what was can you share that watershed moment that took you from I suppose a life of conformity to some extent of doing a day job to then leaving to do something totally different yeah I guess the um, uh, the biggest change was um, the night uh, where I stood with a group of friends and saw um, the unfolding events in Thailand, which was the Boxing Day tsunami. And seeing that and having led uh, teams into Bali after the bombings, where we were identifying those who died, and the work that we'd done internationally, I knew that I'd uh, end up in Thailand. And, and very quickly, I received a phone call from work and they said, can you come back from holidays and can you head to Thailand? And, and I often say that there's uh, the only thing that remains the same in my life from that moment was that I've got three kids. Uh, nothing else remained the same. And uh, I spent most of 2005 either deployed in Thailand or co coordinating the deployment of uh, New South Wales forensic uh, specialists to Thailand. Uh, 2006 uh, was project work with, uh, uh, 2006, seven and eight project work with Interpol and the UN. And uh, by that stage, I'd started the charity, and and I guess it's um, and I share that first part because that led to what became what might look like that that watershed moment where, in fact, it was the events of the tsunami, and and I guess the biggest change was uh, at the end of two thousand and eight. I'd been gone from the police for a couple of years on this comment. They were still paying my wages, and and uh, after a couple of years, it was only supposed to be twelve months. It kept getting extended, and. And uh, I was called back for a meeting back in New South Wales and they said, you know, you need to come back. You've been gone too long. We've been paying you. And, uh, and uh, in a meeting they said, where do you want to go? And uh, within the police. And uh, I said, I'd like to take 12 months leave without pay to focus on the charity. And my assistant commissioner, she looked and said, no, I'm not going to support the concept. And uh, I said, OK, I'll take a week's holiday and never went back resigned and uh, and uh, so that might look like if you looked at a timeline and go well what happened there but really it was what happened a couple of years previous uh, was that one significant moment I guess it just took a couple of years to unfold. Mm. So talk to me about Hands Across the Water and what it is all about um, what was it that created, created that charity? So Hands was um, you know, working in Thailand on the, my last uh, tour, I was introduced to a group of kids and all of these kids had uh, lost their home, they'd all lost their parents, many had lost brothers and sisters and they were living in a tent. It was some eight months on from the event that led to, um, to the death of their families and, 
and uh, they were living in a tent which was um, uh, not an insignificant tent, but it was still just a tent. And uh, it wasn't some temporary structure, that was their home. And I guess I looked at it and thought, you know, I can't change what's happened, um, but I felt I could, I could contribute to what happened next. And so I returned to Australia and, and uh, uh, set up Hands Across the Water. And the goal was to build uh, uh, a home for them. And I thought, once that's done, will the problem's solved. And uh, went about that. And there were a number of people who contributed across the globe, as I did, to the building of this home. Went over and opened the home. And it was only then that I realised the, uh, the journey for Hands had just started. And uh, so I uh, returned and, and saw that the numbers of the kids we built the home for uh, increased and within 12 months it had doubled. And what I've learned is that after crisis and disaster, and you know, I've worked in Saudi Arabia after the floods in the city of Jeddah, I've worked in Japan after the tsunami there and the other areas I've already mentioned and lots of people turn up in the immediate aftermath. There'll be governments there'll be NGOs, there'll be charities, there'll be corporate who will turn up and put the flag in the ground and say, we're here to help. But too many leave too quickly. And when they see the job is done, when it's lost the interest of the public, when the dollars have been raised, too many leave too quickly. And, um, and this is what happened in Thailand. There were kids who were uh, staying in other shelters and other centres and the funding stopped and they ended up in our centre. And, and uh, so within 12 months of opening a home that was built for 32, it had gone to 64. So we built another home and, um, uh, and that was located right next door to the first one. And, and then it continued. Then in 2010, um, there was, a, a, I guess, a significant change for us where I was introduced to uh, a, a lady by the name of May Thiel, uh, a Thai lady who had an amazing, incredible humanitarian and has had a deep impact upon uh, me as a person, my, my learning and my beliefs. And, and she was running a home for kids who had HIV or who had lost their parents to HIV. And, and her home, I went up and visited it in 2010. It's in a rural part of Thailand in what's called the Isan region. And uh, the home was broken. Uh, the kids were sick, the kids were skinny and the kids were dying. And the kids were dying on not just a monthly basis, but a weekly basis. And I looked around and um, uh, it became obvious that uh, an injection of, um, of money on a regular basis would bring about change. And so we started providing uh, regular money that led to covering all of their recurrent costs. And, and May Thiel, this incredible humanitarian who was awarded Asian of the Year, uh, several years ago, she's buried 1,027 children mm. in her life. And, you know, one of the amazing things, Janine, is that when a new child comes, she holds that child in her arms and looks at it as though it's the first child she's held. Mm. You know, and, and as a mother um, or as a parent listening, you know the love that you have for your firstborn. Mm. And she looks at each child like that. And she's buried 1,027. Mm. But the thing is, we were able to stop children dying. And uh, from the work that we did and the support and the, what we built um, since 2010, the kids don't die anymore. And uh, um, we've brought about a lot of change up there. And, and I guess 
Now we're in seven different areas across Thailand and HANDS um, brings about long-term support and uh, we provide options where feasible options don't exist. And, and there's, a, there's a conversation occurring in this sector right now that says homes like ours aren't the best place for kids. And, and I'm the first to acknowledge the best place for kids is in a family. Mm. But all things have to be equal. And uh, putting kids into uh, a family in inverted commas or a relative uh, doesn't mean that's the best place for them. And uh, there's too many examples of the kids in our homes who have come from uh, a family where they've been abused, they've been sexually assaulted, they've been used as forced labour or they've been traded into the sex industry and the police and government are bringing them to us and saying, can you look after these kids because where they are is not safe. So we provide these long-term solutions and, and we measure ourselves and our success on the choice the kids have when it comes time to leave. We don't measure it in money. Like we've raised over 20 million Australian dollars and we've, the structure that we have uh, means that not one cent of donors' money is spent on admin or fundraising. I set up a company in 2011 which uh, undertakes its own activities uh, to fund the operational costs of the charity, but that's not success. Uh, we've got 320 kids that wake up each uh, morning in one of our seven homes that live in a safe and loving environment. And that's not how we measure success. The success for us is what happens when it comes time for the kids to leave. When they're 17, 18, 19, they go, okay, my time here is done. And a big part of that for us is represented by the 47 uh, kids we have today studying at one of the universities across Thailand. It's represented by the six who have already graduated, one with a law degree who's now employed as our general manager and studies his MBA on, on weekends. It's represented by Mook, one of the girls who has no known living relatives in Thailand and works um, in Sydney in an advertising agency having completed her business degree and studying English here. And that's a success and that's how we measure ourselves. Oh my gosh, I've got so many questions on the back of that. Um, thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. It's always so hard not to get emotional with your, with, with the stories that you share. Um, for me, what I hear there is absolutely what humanity can do and the power and potential of humanity. I had the joy a few years ago of having um, a private lunch with Abigail Disney and talking to her about some of her humanitarian work. And the, the message that she left with me that just resonates every single time is, Janine, you don't have to pack a backpack and climb Mount Everest. You simply need to choose to be a brick in the wall of change. Um, and what you shared is, is exactly that in terms of you had this thing that you had to do. But over the years, it's not just the children and the community and the futures that you've created. There's also the incredible amount of people that have participated in those multi-day programs. What changes have you seen there from her humanity perspective and the potential that that brings? I think the, um, uh, and this probably speaks to a bigger point, is what makes us successful as a charity. And we've enjoyed year-on-year -year growth. And, and we're, a, we're an incredibly small organisation and uh, up until 
uh, the beginning of last year we had no Australian staff. It was just myself and the board and, and we, you know, I think we've achieved uh, reasonably well uh, given the size and now we're investing uh, through the company structure in staff here and, and what I see is that there's a, a need um, and it's, it's driven by the desire of those investing in charities to do more. Charities can't compete on the, the basis that uh, they're doing good uh, or they're deserving because so many charities are doing good and deserving. We've got to do something different. And this has been the growth for us is that um, uh, we provide opportunities for individuals, for uh, teams, for families, for corporate uh, to, to feed their soul. And, uh, and the way that we structure that and the experiences we create through these shared experiences, they, they build engagement within the corporate groups, they build tighter family units, and we create, we create opportunities for people to bank memories that no matter what happens, those memories won't be taken away. And they're significant memories and they're incredible experiences. And, and too many of us uh, in the lives that we live we don't have the type of experiences that bring us close together uh, on a fundamental um, perspective. And it's the type of things that if people who were involved in high level um, successful sporting teams, you build these relationships because of the hardship that you've gone through, you know, the training, the performance, the wins, the losses, and it's the same as the teams that we built working in the crisis and disaster areas, and it's why those in the military and so forth build such strong relationships, because of what you've gone through together, the trust that you need. And, and in a Thai saying, same, same, but different, it's what we're creating. And, um, and there's not lots of opportunities for people in, in the comfortable lifestyle we have to do this as a family to do it with your partner, to do it with your kids, to do it with your work colleagues, where you, you get down and you have these, you know, incredible, meaningful self-experiences, uh, shared experiences. And, and as I say, I think fundamentally, it's um, people keep coming back, keep being involved in these. We keep enjoying the growth because it's feeding their soul. Mm. Over the years, I'm imagining you've experienced obviously the highs of the great work you're doing but equally are seeing some horrendous stuff that stays with you um how do you manage those moments how do you make sure that you almost don't get overwhelmed with the sheer scale of work that needs to be done yeah i think um you know when you talk about the um uh, the levels of experiences and some of that um the worst of humanity i you know, that's, uh, you know, we take teams now into, um, uh, into the slums of, of Bangkok, um, a place called Kong Tui, and um, there's 100,000 people that live in the slums. And, you know, through my policing career of 20 odd years working in all the crisis and disaster areas, you know, I've seen, I've seen a lot. And, but I can walk into the slums and, I can see families, I can see the conditions in which they live, the hardship they live in, and, and we're within the shadows of these amazing um, buildings in Bangkok and the rooftop bars and amazing restaurants and, 
and you see how some of these people live and how they've forgotten and how as a society we go it's okay for people to live not temporarily but live for generations in you know houses constructed of not much more than cardboard you know and houses that flood when it gets rain and and you know some of those are the they're the most difficult experiences and I can walk into homes and see where people live and it can bring me to tears even today after all I've done but they're also the the moments that give you the inspiration to keep going and to do more and you know when you get tired and you know just of the of the level of responsibility that I feel that I carry um, that wears you out but then some of the toughest moments are also some of the um, the best moments. Mm. So you touched on the, the the level of responsibility that you feel you carry. Uh, we were talking before we switched the microphone on about the amount of energy that you almost have to give out um, every single day to the people that you come into contact with to actually pursue what the, the bigger piece is here, which is draining. Um, and what do you do to keep yourself going? How do you do in those moments? You know, it's um, sometimes it's, you know, I'm fortunate. I, I spend a lot of time in Thailand and I'll travel there, you know, in excess of 12 times a year. And uh, sometimes I'm like in January, I'm there for the month. And uh, other times it's an overnight visit and I'm back to Australia. And, and some of the times they're just meetings and some of the times they're experiences and times that will give me the the energy and give me the inspiration and the motivation and the connection to to keep moving forward and uh, and you know we, we've got to raise 1.8 million dollars a year just to keep the homes that we've got alive uh, just to keep them functioning without any growth without any capital investment or capital growth and and that that's not something that's lost on me the need to to do that and it's you know we can't uh, shut shop we can't take a year off we can't you know go slow at any time because there's a lot of people whose lives depend upon it we've seen the impact of when money stops uh, and i don't say this as a throwaway line but children die mm. if we don't provide the money for the medicine for the food for the complementary medicine they need to support their HIV, the kids die. Mm. And, you know, I, that's not an option. And I guess for me, how do I manage the energy on different levels? And sometimes it's knowing that when you get down and when you get tired and when you get exhausted, sometimes knowing that that will, t that will turn and, uh, and it's a case of just continuing. And sometimes you've got to do something different. And uh, as you said, we were talking about these bike rides where each January I, I lead a, a couple of rides and we spend 16 days riding 1,600 kilometres. And, and um, you know, there's mornings I'll, I'll walk out and I don't want to talk to anyone. And uh, I'll get on the bike and I'll know that I can't pretend to be in a good mood because I just can't do it. And that I know that for me, uh, it's, it's, it's acknowledging I'm in a space and go, okay, well, what do I do? And it might be, I'll put some music on and I'll ride hard and I'll ride fast and knowing, you know, if we want different outcomes, we have to do things differently. Mm. 
and uh, and it'll be different for different people. Some people w- might want to sit in the pack and just talk. And I go, no, that's not for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> keep myself to myself. Yeah, and, it's, and 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 it is just acknowledging that sometimes you don't have to do something; it'll it will turn. But yeah. Mm. So again, with that with that level of responsibility, it's, it's that whole thing about of out of an idea, out of a seed, you've created something that is going to leave a long-term legacy that is far bigger than you because Mm. it's the legacy on um, the kids that are in protection in those homes but equally that generational change how does it how does that feel having having that is it something you think about or is it almost out of your control now (laughs) it's like you've created this thing that is just you've unleashed it yeah I, I guess it's um one of the things I, I probably should do more, or maybe it, is, it helps keep your, your ego in check, that I, I don't reflect a lot on what we've done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I guess it's always because there's acknowledgement of, well, there's so much more to do. And, um, you know, and, it, it, and that's occurred in many instances in my life. When I decided I was going to study law, I was um, working in the police, I was still studying forensic science at uni, and, and I went, when I, if I complete this law degree, you know, a significant thing as a mature age student, you know, working kids and all the rest, and I went, I'll take myself to Nepal and go to the Himalayas and that'll be my reward. Well, it's probably no surprise I finished the law studies and I've never been to Nepal or Himalayas, you know. I don't take enough time to celebrate uh, what we do individually or as a group, and I know that I can be better with the teams that I lead by if we do take time and celebrate. And it's not something I do well. And uh, and on a personal level, or you know, as a leader, and uh, and I guess it's because I I acknowledge that well, the jobs it's not done. And uh, when we set the bar and say, well, we need this, well, then I look at it and go, well, if we get more, uh, well, we've got there now. We've got to do more. And uh, um, so so, what was the question? <laughs> How do you like the this 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 legacy that you've created? Is it is it, have you just created this machine and how does yeah, it feel like yeah. it's it's just going? It feels like it's just going to happen anyway, and yeah. you're guiding the ship to me now. And it feels, I guess, in response to that, it feels personally, um, it'd be selfish to stop. Mm. I feel like that I have the. Uh, through the various opportunities in the distribution of the message and the speaking I get to do and the people I share the experiences with and and um, that uh, to stop um, would have an impact upon the organisation. And I'm not saying the organisation stops without me, but uh, it would change. And I think, well, until there's a, a good reason to stop, it would be wrong to stop. And I know that... Uh, um, you know, there's just so much more that we can do, we mm. should do, and the impact on the lives of those who come on our experiences, not just the kids in Thailand. You know, we're building strong communities uh, within families, with, within groups here in Australia and in Thailand. And, and it's a, you know, I guess it's this incredible wave that I'm riding and why would you get off? Mm. What have you learned about yourself through this whole process? Ah, I've certainly, uh, certainly become a uh, lot nicer person and, 
And I think within uh, the work I used to do, uh, all I was surrounded by was, um, was badness, you know, like the work I did as a forensic investigator, you weren't called out to anything good. It was homicides, it was suicides, it was suspicious deaths, it was sexual assaults, it was violent assaults, it was house fires and, and um, you know, and to the point of going to Bali, like it was, uh, we were in a country where we weren't wanted. And, uh, you know, there were threats to, to all of us that were there from people who didn't want us there. And, but the change in the work uh, where I am now and the work we do, it's such a humanitarian response. And, and um, I, I guess that the, uh, you know, the opportunities and doing something for someone else uh, brings you um, the greatest rewards. And, and when I started HANDS, I was at the lowest point of my life. I'd uh, separated from my wife, I had no money, and um, it was a horrible time. I'd just come back from spending months surrounded by the bodies of five and a half thousand people, dealing with families who had lost their entire family or it was a horrible time and, and I don't think even today that I truly acknowledge the impact of that on me as a person. And, um, um, but um, deciding to do something for the kids at the time where it made the least amount of sense um, has brought about the biggest change for me. The people I've met, the people I get to share my time with, the, um, the experiences I have. and. Um, so I guess, you know, there's some of the things that you know, mm. taken, yeah. So I'm imagining some people listening to this will go, oh gosh, I want to get involved, I'm going to look at hands. And it's, it's, you know, I've already committed crazily to a bike ride, but it's taken a few years. But at the end of the day, I have no doubt that um, you probably have a message for people of what they could do tomorrow, not necessarily with hands, because what I hear is, Think about other people. Look around you. Mm. Um, everybody, if they want to, can can do something. Mm. What would be your ask for people in a world that is still pretty yucky in places, where there's still a lot of fear and pain and hurt and badness? You know, how do you make sure that that people can take some learnings from what you've experienced and put it into their everyday lives? Not necessarily getting involved in hands, but just yeah, yeah, necessary. Yeah, no, yeah, I guess it's, um, you know, we can't help everyone, mm. but we can all help someone. And, uh, um, and I think that the other thing is, is, is don't wait until the opportunity is right. And, and I hear that when I speak at conferences, people will walk up and say, I'd love to do what you do, I'd love to be part of it, I'd love to do this, or I'd love to go on the bike rides, or I'd love to be part of this. And they go, but... And, and anything they say thereafter is they're, they're waiting for the time to be right. And the risk is if you, if you wait, that time might not come. Mm. And, uh, you know, the work I do in Thailand um, and particularly the rides is it's, it's food for my soul. And, and my question to, you know, to those might be listening is when was the last time you did something specifically for you. Mm. Not for your husband, not for your wife, not for the kids, not for the work, you know, but for you. Because when we take that time 
and invest in ourselves. Um, and as you say, it doesn't have to be about hands. It doesn't have to be riding 800 kilometres in Lycra. You know, <laughs> it, it, it can Scary be. thought in itself. <laughs> it, can, it can be, and I open that mm. invitation. But, mm. you know, it might be learning to play a musical instrument. It might be travelling to Nepal or heading to Paris with those that you love most. And uh, if not now, then when? Mm. I love that. My last question, because there's so much wonderful stuff in this conversation and we could go on and on, um, is what is next for you? What's next? Who is Peter going to become next? Ah, I don't know. I guess the uh, things have... Uh, have and continue to change and um, um, the you know what I do now I could never imagine that it would ever be the case and uh, um, I don't know what you know what's ahead is uh, I think that I see um, certainly a continuation of the work of hands and I hope that we continue to enjoy the successes that we do and bring about the change that we do and um, and it's hard to think of not doing what I do now um, and you know what the next stage looks like it's uh, um, yeah it's funny you know with all that I've done there's never been a lot of plans you know like I don't I'm not the type of guy that uh, uh, you know, gives things a terrible amount of thought and much to the frustration of those around me that if I think it's a good idea, um, well, we're off before I've thought about it. And uh, so I'm not someone that has a checklist of things to do over the next five years or where they want to be or, you know, I guess the, the furthest I look personally is the is, uh, uh, the furthest in my diary is the last booking that's in, you know. And I know that I'll be in January. Uh, uh, in January, I'll be in Thailand riding every year. And, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, a, uh, I can't articulate really very well because I just don't know what it's going to be like. Or, But I think yeah. that's actually why you're doing the work you're doing. I think I'm grateful that you don't have a plan and that you are continuing to follow whatever destiny is laid out mm. for you. Um, and on behalf of the times that you've impacted me and the people that are listening and I come across, I'm grateful that you are sharing your story and encouraging yeah, thanks, people Jenny. to make an impact. So I'm going to leave it there. Anybody that wants to find out more, absolutely um, check out Peter Baines. Uh, his book, Hands Across the Water, and Doing Good by Being Good. Those two books are awesome and a must-read. And obviously check out um, the charity, Hands Peter. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I and as always, it. so many things that I'm going to take back into my world tomorrow. So yeah. thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Janine. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.